I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silver Core, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silver Core Club, which includes 10 million in North America-wide liability insurance to ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. From the mind of Minolta. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, it's been 12 days, and in the last 12 days, we've had, what, 11 shootings? 11 shootings in outdoor environments and public places throughout the, what we call the lower mainland here for our friends outside of British Columbia. So I'm sitting down today with Paul Ballard. Paul's a regular mainstay here on the Silver Core podcast, and in a former life, he was a peace officer for a local municipal police department. Let's say major <laughs> municipal police department. Well, the largest one around here. Yes. And you did that for how long? 35 years. Just looking at my calendar yesterday, it's been seven years since I retired. And how's that feel? Eh, it's pretty hard to wipe this grin off my face. <laughs> I saw that post as well. And you brought up a very interesting point. You said, you know, there's probably going to be people out there that are interested in some more information on basic urban awareness. Yeah. And you know, when we kind of pitched this back and forth, uh, we were, one of the things that struck me in particular was the number of people when they're being interviewed after something like this happens, who will say, I can't believe it. I didn't know what was going on in my neighborhood. I can't believe this happened. And, and, and again, sort of what I consider to be the, the typical victim response and, mm. you know, people who lack preparedness for things, they're either completely oblivious or they're in a deep state of denial. And that can put them in a position where their reaction, uh, and perhaps they would have not even found themselves in those places if they, they get rid of that denial, mm -hmm. they make themselves a little more aware. And, and that's the thoughts that we're going with today. I thought. Well, we were kind of spitballing back and forth, the best way to put this across. And the more that we thought about it the more we realize that this is just not a singular episode. This isn't just one, it's one been done. It's too big. And so we thought about what if we break it down, generally speaking, into a before, during, and after event. And that event could be anything. It could be you're sitting at the Cactus Club out in Burnaby and you start hearing the pop, 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 like what happened a few days ago, or it could be that you're on public transit and you find yourself in a situation where there's an assault of individual. It could be anything really. And that's just it. It really is. Um, we're going to take it from law enforcement or, or street survival training, uh, as it was referred to in, in the past and try and talk about it in terms that are applicable to what is an unarmed uh, citizen likely in, in Canada, uh, there's not an opportunity for people to be, you know, in that position where they would be armed with a firearm to, you know, defend themselves. So we're now going to be looking at ways to, first of all, avoid it, uh, 
Mm. Uh, secondly, if it does happen, how to mitigate it. And if it does happen, how are you going to get yourself right after the incident? You know, you know, there's lots of things that we talk about in survivors, uh, remorse and, and so on. Mm. Uh, and we'll talk about that, but I, I think, you know, the emphasis is there's a before, there's a during, and there's an afterward to any critical incident. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about. Awareness of an incident becomes critical and it's not just gunfire. It's not a, a targeted hit on some criminal. Uh, well, let's look back a few months to what happened in North Vancouver. Mm -hmm. You know, an individual armed with a knife just starts to maniacally start slashing and stabbing and, and what happens in the end, you know, and, and again, listening to people who were there, their words are in my neighborhood. I can't believe it. You know, I've never seen anything like that. And that's the words of a person who really hadn't thought things out. Right. So let's address that. That's, that's the before the event. Let's, let's adjust the mindset so that we're ready for that. And when I took a look at all of this, really the before the event, that encompasses the majority of what can really keep a person safe. Correct. All of this time that's can be be spent thinking practically, thinking tactically and putting your head into a space of what, what if it could happen to me? Correct. And, and that is that, you know, if you blithely go ahead thinking that, you know, I've got out of bed this morning and I'm going to go to bed tonight without anything affecting my safety, my health, um, the safety and the health of my family or those people that are around me. Mm -hmm you're going to get into that position where it's going to happen and you're not going to, you're not going to be ready for it. So before it's all about having a plan. And one of the first and most important things I believe in that plan is recognizing that it's not necessarily going to happen, but it very well could happen. Mm -hmm. And if you're there and it is happening, immediate recognition of it. So. Again, the mind in denial, sound of gunfire. Oh, fireworks. Okay. Why would there be fireworks going at seven o'clock in a parking lot on a weekday night? Right. And those are the sort of things that you have to, you know, stop trying to rationalize with what your personal values are or your inability to explain. If mm -hmm. it sounds like gunfire, it's gunfire. Mm -hmm. If there's smoke coming from it, it's a fire. Mm -hmm. If something's in their hand and people are bleeding, it's a knife. It's real. It's mm -hmm. not like a movie. It's not, you know, something that, that your, your belief system doesn't want to accept. You have to accept it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing in, in when we talk about before, except that it could happen. And when it does happen, you're recognizing it for what it is. So I find quite often people will come up and they'll relay stories of something that happened. It might not be as spectacular as what's been reported in the news lately, but it was definitely something very, it was a big event for them. Traumatic. Right. Altering. Right. And the couple things that keep come, coming up with these individuals. Number one was like what you're saying, never thought it could happen to me. They never mentally prepared. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about what that mental preparation looks like. But the other thing that tends to come up is 
they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know the legal framework that they could work within. They didn't know what they were actually allowed to do out of fear of possible future repercussions. And that can all be mitigated with a little bit of pre-learning and a little bit of role-playing and understanding a few of the principles that we're going to talk to talk about today. Yes. And, and again, we're going to talk about before. So you need to think about that before so that when it does happen, it's not at a cognitive level that you can respond. You're going to do it through reflex because you've practiced or, or have downloaded it to yourself to, to know to do. So again, we got to come back and you need to know, yeah, legally, what can I do? Practically, what should I do? What are my priorities? All of that has to happen before something bad occurs in your life, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so again, starting with it can happen. Mm -hmm. So we've accepted that. But can we predict exactly what it's going to be? And that is the conundrum with a lot of people and, and in their acceptance of it is, well, how do I know? How do I know it's going to be in a drive-through? How do I know it's going to be on a transit bus? How do I know it's going to be in front of a library? Well, the deal is you don't know, mm-hmm. but through a repetitive visualization or scenarios. You, as you walk into the library today, just go, Hey, if some guy came with a knife at everybody in general, where's my escape route from here? Mm. How's the fastest way for me to exit the zone that this guy is now occupying or dominating? Mm. And, you know, people think it's crazy and it's not paranoia, but are you always looking? Can I get between these planters that are lined up, you know, into the walkway? So we have The idea of the library, it's a welcoming place. You know, you're going to have a grand entrance. There's probably going to be planters heading up there, but is there space between the planters? Am I going to have to get up onto a planter to get away to move beyond? Mm. When I see something, if it's a knife, what do I need to do? Like what, what's going to protect me from a knife and distance, of course, is that thing. A knife is a contact weapon. It can be deployed very quickly. It can be very devastating. If somebody gets to you with that knife, there's the problem. But if you could get this table that we're sitting at here between the knife wielder and ourselves, that can certainly slow things down. If you can get onto the other side of a car, and even if you start doing a roundabout thing until the, your attacker realizes that they should come over the car, you've got a physical barrier that's probably going to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. And, and this is something to think about. How does a knife work? You know, what's, you know, what's the effective distances of a knife and, and you honestly don't have to read books on it. You just, as a practical person, Get somebody else to get a wooden spoon in the kitchen and see how fast they can touch you with the wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. But now get in the kitchen, go to the other side of the island in your kitchen, and can they touch it? And and how is the person reacting with the wooden spoon? These sort of little scenarios that can be done in the home can all serve to download and pattern your subconscious to be ready for that moment. And that's mm-hmm. that's the thing we. We need to look at it that way. We need to, you know, continually rehearse. I'm driving down the street. I look over and there's a guy with a handgun shooting at somebody else. What do I do? 
I don't slow down to look at it better. I immediately turn right and start to drive as far away as I can because that's not something I need to be a part of. And recognizing that, telling that yourself, I see a gun, I go. Mm. I don't try and stop, get my cell phone out, I go. So why why don't we take a look at uh, the basic color code system that's taught to a lot of people on... And it, I've seen different studies on the color code system and some people talk about it being a tool for situational awareness and other people talk about it as a tool for uh, making the decision to do something, but whatever you want to use the color code system for, it, it gives a very quick and easy, I find, uh, visual that you can apply if you find yourself in a situation. Yeah. And so, I mean, we look at the origins of the color coded system, which, you know, the, the three colors go back to the U S army airborne forces in the second world war. Um, I believe the, one of the greatest studies of personal survival in any environment was, uh, Colonel Jeff Cooper mm -hmm. and he went on to make five color coded levels mm -hmm. and, and really go on to, uh, in a very descriptive fashion of only Jeff Cooper could, um, say what each one of those color codes meant, mm -hmm. but you know, we go from white, yellow, orange, red, and black. Right. And when can we be in code white? Well, basically as you've locked the doors to your house and you've turned off the light and you pull up the sheets to go to sleep, because that really is the only time it's acceptable to be completely unaware of your situation because you're asleep. They say white, the awareness level of a victim. Of a and, victim. And realistically, that's where the majority of people operate on a day-to-day -day basis. Problem. Huge problem. Headphones on, phones, heads in their phones, looking on the ground as they walk around, not paying attention to their not surroundings. Not making eye contact with other people on the street. Right. Like that's a, that's a huge thing when, you know, studies of people that have been victimized is, you know, the, you know, tim timidity on their own part. Like, mm -hmm. you know what? It's okay to look in somebody's eyes until you look in their eyes and you realize, hey, pardon this term, that person's crazy. I need to not make eye contact because <laughs> that's going to only exacerbate a situation. And that's, but that's a tightrope. Tight eye contact is a tightrope. Too much eye contact that could be, you could be perceived as, uh, a asking threat. a threat. A threat. Be so it's a matter, you got to look at people's faces though, to see, you know, what's coming next mm. and, and looking at your phone, looking at your feet looking at your screen, none of that's a good place to be in. And, and we're, you know, all people will argue and say, well, you know, this is the way of the world today. Well, is 11 gunfire incidents with deaths and injury in 12 days, you know, mm. is that a good way to live? Yes, they're not your friend or my friend is what we would, you know, air quotes, normal people be. Uh, these guys are gangsters. They have a value system that does not exist in our world. You know, their, their value of life, their need to do these things in public. We can't, we can't apply ourselves to that. And that, that's a struggle as well. Well, as of today, the papers are reporting that at least in one of the incidences, there was an innocent person that was injured. Was injured. Right. So, th and there might turn out to be more. Right. And, but and, you know, both of us are extremely familiar with the use of firearms in particular handguns. Mm. 
none of these bad guys are going to the range and training themselves to be the best shot that they can be. It's not like law enforcement where their training is a heavy, heavy emphasis on target awareness and what's between you around beyond your target. They're not talking about that. They are dialed in. Often they're going to be high to build up their courage. Mm. And, and, you know, so judgment and all these things are going to be affected. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter who you are, you take those stress levels of going in to take a life. Even if it is, you know, a person lacking in, in values, perhaps, a, a, you know, we don't need to diagnose it, but likely a sociopath that's willing to do that they're still going to be jacked and they're not going to be paying attention to those sites. And, you know, it's getting as much out of the end of that barrel as possible in the direction of their intended target and then getting out of there. So we've got condition white, essentially awareness level of a, a victim. Then we go to orange where you're yellow. Part of me. I skipped a step here. <laughs> We go you were from looking, white. You were looking too far up on the sunrise. Yeah, I was, was all, yeah. from white to yellow and it, yellow, you're casually aware. Yeah. Casually aware. Yellow is how we should all live at all times until we have a need to go to. Then you're into orange, orange right? Orange and, brings you up the next level right. where hmm, so, something might be happening. And for people to understand, you're walking down the street. You're in yellow, you're looking at people coming towards you, you're checking vehicles out that are driving down the street. There's a car, you're approaching an intersection, it's making a left turn and you kind of casually glance to make sure that it's completing its left turn and not understeering the turn and going to mount the curb in front of you and run you down on the sidewalk. Mm. And I mean, that's the way you should be. You should be not you know, oblivious to all this stuff. Right. And again, it might be just an accident that you could avoid by just being aware, Hey, that car is not going to make that corner. It's coming onto the sidewalk. So now condition yellow, let's continue on. Uh, we're just pulling into the, you know, local fast food drive through. And now we realize there's cars ahead of us. A couple of cars have pulled in behind us. And if something happens, how am I getting out of there? It, will my car get up over the curb or am I going to have to exit my vehicle if a shootout begins, you know, in this situation, just casually look, make that little bit of a plan. You know what? If something bad happens in this situation, I'm going to go there. And then mm. if it were to occur in another drive through in another city under a completely different, you know, corporate banner above you. That little bit of rehearsal, that code yellow, you know, planning, thinking has downloaded and your subconscious will draw that up and you may be able to react properly. Yeah, they call those heuristics. Heuristics. I'd never heard that one before, but. So they say from experience. Yeah. Uh, and that could be an experience, physical experience you've been in or something you've developed through mental role playing. You develop these heuristics where you will sort of subconsciously pull upon the positive desired result based on prior experience. Right. And then it didn't really happen, but in your mind, it because you played it through in a, in a theatrical sense, it's there and it, and it's ready to go. So now we're walking down the street and we're in code yellow. When we start to look ahead, there's somebody approaching directly towards us. He is mumbling to himself. He's looking down. He's got his hands jammed in his pockets. You can see him turning and aggressively looking at people ahead of you. We now move from yellow to orange. 
there is something that's out of the ordinary. There is something that could potentially become a threat to us, our family, to our well-being. So as a regular person, what are you going to do? Well, how about start moving away from that person's intended path? Maybe it's going to require that you step right off the sidewalk, uh, start walking in the gutter a bit, or maybe it's time to turn and jaywalk and go across the street. Mm -hmm. You get across the street, the guy passes, he continues on. Now you go back to yellow and continue on the rest of your day. And I think, you know, when you really start to become a practitioner of preparation or a practitioner of true um, awareness, your life continually hovers between yellow and orange. And it's recognizing once you move into that orange state of mind where your focus is on that perceived potential possible threat, it's, you, can, you can really start to calm yourself back down when the threat ceases to exist and you don't get into that paranoid state or, or where you, you know, start to get nervous and, sure. and you can't live and you can't enjoy life. You know, that, that, that really is, you know, part of understanding how to move back and forth. So if we're going to move past orange to red, now the fight's on. The situation changed. It was a bit different. Right. And so you have now, let's go back to our scenario. We're seeing this guy approaching and you can't move quick enough. The distance is reduced. You're in code orange. You're paying attention. You're focused on him. You're starting to think I've got to do something. And suddenly a knife comes out of his pocket and he starts to slash. Mm. And he's not slashing at the person ahead of you. He's not slashing at the person beside him. He's coming straight for you. Mm. And now you realize the threat is real and it's imminent. And I have to, without any, I guess the, the word would best be compassion for anybody else involved, I have to deal with it. Mm. Now, if you're physically capable and prepared and if trained, maybe you're going to try and physically defend yourself from that knife. Mm. But if you're 65 years old and you got two bad knees and you know, you don't move that well, maybe I need to put something between me and that guy with the knife. Maybe I have to clearly step well out of his way, get a car, get on the other side of a car, do something of that nature. If I got to get out of there and there's people in my way, here comes that compassion thing. You know what? It's you first mm. with your family, because if anything happens to you, you, you can't do anything for your family or your loved ones. So mm. really that, I, that may be another thing we need to put into priority. You, your family, your friends, other people around, innocent bystanders are just a barrier to your escape or you're leaving that zone and the bad guy himself, there's no compassion for that person. Mm -hmm. They've made their decision. And if there's something that you have to do to them, you have to do it and you have to do it in a ruthless fashion. With but speed, with aggression. With aggression. And, and again, with no feeling. Like there, there cannot be anything but purpose, you know, whatever fear you might've had to that point turns into righteous indignation. Mm -hmm. How dare you do this to my family? How dare you do this to me? And that will give you the focus to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But again, if you're not physically capable, 
And that's the thing we're talking about here. We're not talking uh, an armed society or a place where you can legally be armed here in Canada. Unfortunately, that's the way things are. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's ever going to change. So I don't think there's any government going to come in here and say, you know what, we need to, we need to allow our citizens to arm themselves. That's mm. not going to happen. So now it's, you know, for you to be smart, knowing that you have perfect rights to defend yourself against, you know, injury, you, you know, there's, there's that aspect of it, but perhaps your greatest option is always to get out of that, that zone, get away from it. Mm -hmm. And again, it may mean pushing a, a, an older person to the ground so that you can get past them. Mm. You know, when you look around and everybody's standing with mouths agape and eyes like saucers, that's not your problem. Mm -hmm. They are now a bit of a, well, they actually are your problem. If it's going to prevent your escape, you have to worry about nothing except going. So it means pushing somebody down, stepping over them. They weren't here listening to what we're talking about now. And then the final part would be condition black. Condition black. And that's when you become overwhelmed by whatever the situation is. And that's kind of the no return. Well, the nice thing about condition black that I really like is the fact that if you realize that you are now so overwhelmed by the environment that you've frozen and you're not making proper decisions and you're not downloading these heuristics that you had before is you can say, I'm in condition black. Let's deescalate into red and get myself in the fight. Back in the fight. Yeah. So or it, back, you're back into operation. Right. And I, and I think that's the best thing about condition black is just like, wait a minute, I know I'm here now. Let's get out. Yeah. There's other terms too, that, uh, mental fibrillation. <laughs> yes. When the heart goes into that fluttering mode and now your mind does this stuff, you know, you got to shake it off and get back in. You know, I've been, um fortunate or misfortunate enough to be in a lot of situations where I could look and watch people go into this. Or another good one is tactical dithering. Ooh, <laughs> uh, ooh, uh. And particularly for people that were in charge of things that probably shouldn't have been in charge of it, mm. where now they get overwhelmed and they are code black at that right. point. They are, it's over. Um, right. And pride, um, What's the other ones that are out there? All, you know, your feelings of self-worth mm. often won't let you admit, uh, I've really messed this up. Right. And ego I. Ego gets in the way. Right. Ego, your, you know, your eyes glaze over to what's happened. My mm. ego, Migo. And, uh, you've got to get out of it. And, and like I say, you don't need to worry what other people think of you when you do this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, your, your images portrayed is no longer important to anything other than you and your family to fix whatever got you to that point. So yeah, true enough, uh, learning to realize that it's out of control and I must get control back. And if you start finding yourself going into code black, it might be because you haven't spent time mentally role-playing and developing these situations or these heuristics that you can call upon when you need to. Yeah. But the other interesting thing about this is if it can happen to you, it can happen to the bad guys too. And in fact, quite often it happens to the bad guys before it happens to you because they know what's going to happen and the right. adrenaline's pumping in them and they're functioning prefrontal cortex brain, which makes all their decisions, isn't making decisions in the proper format. And you can use all of that to your advantage. Well, 
you know, just drawn back on what we've been able to watch on TV. And I guess, you know, dash cameras and cell phones, as I always say, I'm not standing around to film any of this stuff, but I guess people are willing to do it. Mm. And, uh, th- I think it was at the, the vape shop shooting. You can watch on the security cameras of the buildings, the guy approaching, he's got a hoodie on like everybody right now has a mask on. Perfect. Mm. This is like, this is like the perfect scenario, the COVID thing that we're, we're in the middle of for bad people to, you know, to, to disguise themselves. He starts and you can see his hand come out of his kangaroo jacket or hoodie pocket. Mm. And it looks, you know, clearly he's got a black handgun, semi-automatic handgun, one-handed technique. He's just point shooting. He's not aiming that thing and he's walking towards his intended target. You can see that part initially. The shooting begins, then they show another clip, which is somebody passing filming from a car. I don't know whether it's a dash cam, but I strongly think it's somebody filming from the passenger seat of that car. Mm. As soon as the shooting stops, bad guy turns around and tries to book it. Mm-hmm. Well, he steps off the curb, he takes a header, he's down and stumbling, trying to get up. Like I say, did he have, he probably did, he knew he had to leave after the shooting, but Mm -hmm. he really didn't have his, his plan together. And that can be a huge problem for us when we're found in that guy's life at that moment. He could take a hostage. He could shoot somebody else just to, you know, get them out of the way. He could try and hijack a vehicle. Like even the people that were slowing down to film that put themselves at great risk. Cause if all of a sudden the only thing he could think of in that moment was to take you in your car, mm. not good. Mm-hmm. Get out of there. You got wheels. He's on foot, mat it, leave, drive mm. away. No way around. The other one too was when, uh, there was the shooting in, uh, Delta. Delta. Right. On Scott Road. You could see after the shooting, the bad guy, again, funny enough with a hoodie and a face mask on, running, jumping over, you know, a planter and a car and everything. And he's looking for his getaway vehicle. Mm. And, you know, the wheel person, we'll say, cause we don't know if it was a man or woman, but likely the wheel man, mm-hmm. uh, was idling, moving away, moving slowly. But just like all the modern cars today, once the car starts to roll, the door's locked. That's right. And you can see him struggling to get the door. And finally, you know, after a, a, a very noticeable dis- delay, the door gets unlocked, he gets in. So where was the plan on the part of the wheelman? Mm. I'm going to pick this guy up. Why aren't I opening the door? Now, I'm not trying to tell these people they should plan any better than what they do. No. But no. the important thing is to understand they haven't planned beyond doing what they're going to do, which could sincerely put you in danger. Mm -hmm. You know, you are not a part of their plan. You could be a barrier to their plan. You could be just in the backdrop of, of the gunfire, all these things. So you need to think as soon as you recognize that this is out of the ordinary, when you're in code orange, you recognize this is out of the ordinary. This desires or not desires requires my complete attention. Mm-hmm. And I need to immediately start to go through the Rolodex. If this goes how far, what am I going to do? And that's having triggers, mental triggers. When you see something, how do you react? Mm-hmm. When you hear something, how do you react? Let's go back. 
I'm moved into code orange and I'm looking at a situation that's evolving and I start to hear gunfire. Hmm. It's gunfire. Whether I've ever heard a real gun go off or not, if it sounds like gunfire, I'm going to treat it like gunfire hmm. and I'm going to take the appropriate action. I'm not going to hear popping noises in a parking lot on a weekday in an urban environment and think, oh, somebody's letting off fireworks. Right. And you know what? Worst case scenario, maybe somebody was letting off fireworks and you reacted as if it was gunfire and people look and they laugh and you feel like a fool, but you know what? You reacted as you ought to. Exactly. And that is the part that's important. Don't try and rely on a value system that you want to believe that society is all, you know, unicorns and rainbows because <laughs> it's not, you know, often you hear too, another, you know, um, sort of attitude or statement that people make, you know, 16 year old shoots and kills, you know, uh, victim on transit bus and you go, that was a 16 year old boy that did that. Mm. Now you're applying a value system that, you know, again, air quotes, normal people have. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. When I talked a lot about, you know, the training that I did with, with recruits in service officers, I talked a lot about what, you know, we have grown up around, you know, you've had a parent that you know, wiped your face when you were dirty, blew your nose when you had a cold, made sure that you had a warm jacket on when you went outside, uh, told you to be careful when you crossed the street. As I said to a lot of recruits that I trained as a field trainer, as an instructor in the academy, I would say to them, you need to have a hard look at those little kids that you see in urban squalor. When that mm. little fella's out there, in a diaper, on a tricycle, and it's only like four degrees and he's barefoot and it's six o'clock in the morning and both barrels are leaking snot mm. and he's just happy. He's playing. Mm. How tough do you think he's going to grow up to be? Mm -hmm. Where do you think his value systems are when, you know, because unfortunately he lives with, you know, a junkie mom who's more interested in getting a fix than she is with feeding him mm -hmm. and she kicks him out because she's got to turn a trick and that's how that guy grows up. Right. And what's his value system? Well, you don't know until you've lived it, mm -hmm. but it's certainly not going to be as clean, pristine noble as yours is, mm -hmm. you know? So these are the things you've got to, you know, you've got to get out of that mindset. There, there isn't, these people are not living the way you do. So another thing I've heard is, holy crow, how mentally taxing must that be? If somebody comes from a condition of, or living in condition white, where they're on their phone as they take the transit, they got the headphones in, they got their head down looking for nickels as they walk from point A to point B, and they're now being asked to be cautiously alert. They're not looking for nickels. <laughs> trying to avoid eye contact. And for a lot of people, that's, that's the game is let's avoid eye contact. And they say, how mentally taxing must that be? So a friend of mine. Uh, he's been on the podcast, British Army. Uh, I think he's one of the highest YouTube viewed ones that we have. He's talking about his SAS selection and, and he says, you know, they taught us to look for the absence of normal and 
for the individual who's looking to change their life to be a little bit more urban aware, I would say your life for most people revolves around their home and their work. Family. Right. And, and maybe something, uh, maybe they're in a sporting activity or, or who knows, maybe there's something else out there, but for the majority, they're traveling from their house to their work. They're traveling from their house to uh, a local event or what, whatever it might be. And you can start to create a, you can scan and, and create what is normal in this environment. And once you start, it's kind of like driving a car. You get behind the vehicle for the first time and you're checking your mirror and you're checking your speed and you're checking yes, all around you're you. You're learning, you're preparing by doing that because you're in that heightened right. sense of, of taking it all in. And then at some point, at some point you're no longer having to look at all that, but you're driving and you're able to now start seeing, okay, that vehicle's crossing two lanes and they could be hitting me soon. You're able to start looking for right. the absence of what normal is. Right. So I uh, develop an awareness of what normal is. And so you can start developing an awareness for what the absence of normal is. Absence of normal. I like that. And that is it. When something's out of place, that's code orange. Mm. Something's out of place. I need to give it a good hard going over here by looking, using all my other senses to determine, am I just being misled here? Mm. Is it just out of normal? Is it a threat? If it's not a threat, take time to, you know, drink it in, see right. what it is. It might be entertaining. And then once you're beyond it, back to code yellow and right. just continue on. Yeah. And, and again, like you say, the stress of going from somebody that goes, listen to them. Like you, you, everybody knows somebody. We were walking home from the mall and, and you can't believe some guy, you know, some guy did, some guy exposed himself and, and they can't get over it. Mm. They, they just like it, it goes on and it dominates conversation for a week in their life. And they phone everybody and they post it on YouTube and, uh, or Facebook and, and Instagram. And I, I, you know, I was just, well, you know what? People expose themselves every day. Mm. So rather than, you know, taking this to, um, a complete overwhelming of, of your day, you know, did you, did you report it properly? Did you make notes, all these other things and just say, you know, Hey, the rest of you, I learned my lesson today. I had always thought that somebody could expose themselves to me and it happened. Mm -hmm. And what did I do? I moved away. I got, you know, a car between me and this individual. I, I stepped into a doorway. I walked into a storekeeper and I said, this guy's exposed and call the police or whatever was required. You did the right thing. Mm -hmm. It was an individual that was being followed downtown. Uh, she kept, you know, she put her camera on her phone and kept filming the guy. I don't think she called the cops. Mm. I don't think the police were involved until after she had found some young fellows who were playing basketball and said, this guy's, you know, this creep's following me. Right. They chased him off. She put it on social media and I think it was actually picked off of social media. If I'm not, you know, if I'm not correct in this, I, you know, I, I fully accept that, but there was no indication that she directly contacted law enforcement as a result of this guy stalking her. So that's not an uncommon situation. And we're going right back to what do I'm going to do if this situation presents itself to me? Right. So that the, what would you do would be mental role playing of what we do. And that would probably 
bleed into the during episode that we're going to talk about. Right. But, but here's the thing. I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to give them a clear description. I'm going to include the time, the date, you know, the, the, the street signs that are, you know, the 100 block that I'm in, you know, all of these things. And, look for and distinguishing features, right. look at uh, height, skin color, which something simple as which way is north, you know, is the guy walking north, south, east or west, you know? Yeah. And, and look for something like a scar or a tattoo, or just one thing after you get the real basics is they got a mask on, they got their hood on, but you could probably see skin color, probably get Rings. gender, probably get, uh, height out of all of that. Can you see anything that's going to be difficult for them to change that you can. Right. And, and now, you but, know. But this and, is some of the during. Yeah. The, well, this is, but again, that mental rehearsal, like if I look at a person and I need to phone the police, what do the police need to know? Mm. Description. Direction to travel, location, you know, and, and description always includes particular description, you know, distinguishing features. I always kind of, again, you listen to the, you know, police are looking for a 15 year old, you know, male wearing a black hoodie. Oh, gee, that's good. It tells I'm you sure, nothing. I'm sure everybody's going to know that guy. Right. You know, but if you said that he had one eye and, you know, mm. at a a particular, you know, other deformity or, or, right. you know, you steely know, blue eyes. Steely okay. blue eyes. Yeah. And you know, or steely blue eye. Uh. Sure. <laughs> and I, I don't mean to laugh and make light of it, but you know, we have to, we have to somehow accept that this is a proper way to live and it's not going to put you into a state of paranoia. So when I was younger and I'd go downtown Vancouver, my dad would drive into 312 main street where the head office there for VPD was, and you know, situated in an area, which a lot of less than desirables around. We used to always play this game, Hawks and Doves, right? With and, your dad. Yeah. Nice. So five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And, and when I first go off and as a uh, five-year-old, Hawks and Doves. So the Hawks are going to be the predators, the Doves are the prey, right? And I'd look and I'd think, well, they must all be predators out here because look at how different they are living than how I live, right? But after a while you start seeing things and you see, hold on a second, the way that that person's dress is different from how these other people are dressed or they're, they're a little bit more put together. They've got their back up against a the wall. Their eyes are up and they're looking similar to how I'm looking as well. Oh, yeah. we just made eye contact. Okay. There's a, there's a bit of recognition here. These other people, they're looking at the ground, they're shuffling around. They're doves. These guys over here, they're hawks. And I say guys, cause predominantly the men are going to be the yeah. aggressors. Yeah. Right. And I think playing that game just in your day-to-day -day life, looking around, you'll be surprised at how many people aren't looking up. And the ones who are looking up, there's a reason they're either like you and they're keeping their eyes open for uh, possible threats or they are a threat and they're looking for victims. So I. I think when we look at the mental role playing, playing a game of hawks and doves can be very beneficial. The other thing I got out of that was the uniforms. Everybody wears a uniform. Police officers wearing a uniform. You'll run to a police officer, you'll see the badge, you'll see the sharp dress uniform and you'll say, can you help me? I need some help because you can see exactly what that individual is all about. The hawks will wear uniforms as well. And you can start to spot that out. The people who are a little bit more. Uh, certain gang affiliations will wear 
gang affiliation uniforms and you'll start to see that. And, and what does the hawk do? The hawk, you know, does certain behaviors, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the thing is if you are in a situation and you go, geez, look at these, you know, and obviously very young men or, you know, basically teenagers mm-hmm. and that guy's driving a BMW X5 and this guy's got, you know, a, a six inch lift on a brand new, you know, three quarter ton diesel truck. And this guy's driving a, you know, a fancy blacked out window SUV. That's absolutely less than a year old. Mm. Does that look right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the absence of normal. That's not normal. I right. mean, you know, if the kid's driving a nice car, that's got an end sign in the back, that maybe takes it back to normal. But these guys, you know, are, are mm-hmm. in these vehicles that doesn't fit, you know, um, what we used to say a lot with the recruits is one of these things is not, not like, like the, the other, other one, <laughs> you know, and, and that's what you've got to be able to compare it. Yes. Young guys have a perfect, young girls have a perfect right to get a driver's license and be out there operating dad's car or mom's car or whatever. But you know, typically dad is not letting the kid drive, you know, a $110,000 Lexus, you know, SUV that's got you know, blinged out wheels mm-hmm. and things like that. It just doesn't make sense for a 17 year old to be operating that. And, you know, you just got to pay attention to things like that. So in, in that game of hawks and doves, the other thing that I started picking up was basic body language and seeing how people like little things where a person's feet are pointed in a conversation. You go to a party, you're talking to other people, a person's talking to you, but their feet are pointed over at the pretty girl next to you, right? Right. You know where their attention actually is, right? Right. Uh, Or maybe their torso is more pointed, but they're looking over. Picking up little things about how people's body language, uh, and and there's some good books on it, how to read a person like a book was the old one. Alan Pease, I remember he's read a few, he's written a few books on it. Uh, I would highly recommend if anyone listening wants to learn a little bit about body language, he's a good author, but the interesting thing that I found on the, both the uniform and the body language was to look introspectively, what uniform are you wearing and what body language are you giving off? Are you giving off the body language of a victim? Mm -hmm. Are you dressed like a victim? And that's why like for the police, your very first, your very first step on the use of force model is officer presence, right? Well, it, it is, uh, yeah, you know, as far as, well, you, and, and in many cases, just the right kind of presence puts things down. It, and people say, how does presence do anything? It's like drive down the road and see a police car that doesn't even have its lights on parked on the side. Do you think you're going to see a reaction from everybody else driving? Right. Right. And that's what we used to always say too, is, you know, if you put a, a marked car out, mm. you get, you know, you get compliance. If you right. put a covert or an unmarked vehicle out, you catch the offender. So, mm. you know, in a lot of cases, what do you want to do? Prevent or arrest. And, and, and that is, that is kind of the thing. Like, well, people are even saying now, like, you know, the police need to do something. The police need to do something. Mm. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, if we were to put marked vehicles on these targets who 
Absolutely, they are known. They mm. are known to law enforcement. Uh, they are they are known uh, to the people that matter. But now everybody's kind of holding back, thinking, "Wow, we might violate their their rights." There could be a court challenge. This one's gone. You know, our mm. particular situation right now. Without getting political, I'm going to get off topic here. I got to get back, but yeah, that presence could change things. Your presence can change things. Are you walking upright? Right. right. You know, do you look like you've got shoes on that you could, you know, run with or fight with? You know, a pair mm-hmm. of heavy work boots on, anything like that might be the presence that is going to keep you out of things. But if you are, you know not dressed appropriately for the area that you find yourself in mm-hmm. and you're not paying attention, you're flagging yourself as, as a, as a dove, as you'd like to say. Sure. And, and talking about the area that you find yourself in, there are certain cues that you can start picking up. So Gavin DeBecker wrote a book called The Gift of Fear. And aside from it being a very good promotional piece for Gavin DeBecker and his agency. Most of these things are. He did a fantastic job at that. But the underlying message in there was essentially trust your gut, right? Trust your gut instinct. And he would talk about women's intuition and men have a gut instinct. And quite often men, particularly young, capable men will try and rationalize why am I feeling afraid in this moment? This doesn't make sense. I'm a tough guy. I can take care of myself. And they start rationalizing their way through. And and a big underlying thing on that was trust your gut and respond accordingly. And there's different things that we can take into account when we're making those gut decisions and whether that gut decision is right or wrong in the end, if we err on the side of caution, always a better, but you're talking about being in the wrong side of town. Well, Take a look at your environment. Are there indicators in your environment that perhaps you might be, you should be on a higher level of alertness? Yes. Do you see graffiti? Do you see drug paraphernalia kicking around? Do you see uh, evidence of impoverished people? Because when there's less money, the desire for money is going to be more and the desire for quick money is going to be higher. And that's the thing we have to say. We're talking about awareness in in an urban environment Mm -hmm. and that doesn't just mean from these, you know, what, what brings us to light is a series of violent incidents mm-hmm. that have, you know, put the public into outrage every single day. You need to be in an aware situation in so many of these, these places from leaving the parking lot, uh, where you park your car to get to your office. Although everybody's working from home now because of the COVID, right. we may be just projecting into the future when things get back to a, a more normal state of affairs. But you know, you take the bus, you're taking the bus to go to a doctor's office you've never been to. And you can certainly see that the bus is now descending into, you know, a little bit less than, you know, tawny neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's now time to start moving up your levels of awareness. Maybe you're going to go, you know, almost orange coming off the bus until you have a good hard look and checked out the 15 people that you're about to encounter. And then you can take it back down to your, your le- yellow, you mm-hmm. know, and, and just, you know, it sounds funny. Hey, I was yellow. I was orange. I was, you know, oh, I must've gone <laughs> orange five times today, you know, which is an indicator that you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't have to go red, you're good. Mm-hmm. You really are. And if you can get back into yellow and, and it's a relaxed state of awareness, it's right. not a, it's not a state of hypervigilance, which is what all this stuff comes back to was the young soldiers 
who were waiting for D-Day or waiting for, you know, a big airdrop or whatever, you know, and we're talking 17, 18 year old boys. Okay. Let's use the value system that we know. Mm-hmm. My son, when he was 17 years old is now got, you know, a, a, a a full field pack on, a parachute on his back, a steel helmet, and they're about to kick him out of an airplane. Oh, but not today. We're not going up, you know, and everybody relax, go back to bed or, you know, get a, get a sandwich, but stay ready. And, and these guys were in complete states of, you know, mental turmoil and, and being upset and, and somebody recognized, well, we need to, to gauge this out because these guys are, they haven't even seen combat yet and they're burnt out. And, mm-hmm. and this is the origin of this. So it's perfect for people with what we would say a normal value system has existed mm-hmm. all their life. And you know what? We're so good with our kids. Don't talk to a stranger, you know, be careful of dogs, strange dogs. And we do all this stuff. And yet the same parent who might say that is walking down, you know, an unknown street in an unknown neighborhood. And somebody says, Hey, can you help me find my keys? Or could you step over here and, and you know, oh, that's a beautiful necklace that you're wearing. May Uh-oh. I see that? And you know. Are you kidding me? Nobody that I've never met in a strange neighborhood is going to come into my personal space and mm-hmm. touch my necklace. You know, yet people do. And they, and they go, oh my God. And when I walked away, that wasn't the necklace I was wearing and, you know, this sort of <laughs> stuff. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You the, know, the, but that's the way I think, cause that's my value system. Sure. But that's only come from, I don't know, 40 something years now that I've, oh, more than that, that I've lived this way. Mm-hmm. My dad, and I always like to throw a my dad story into things. My dad played in a pipe band for the shrine and there was always the shrine circus. That's a real thing that kids will miss or the, the old time circuses with the lions and tigers and everything else. But they used to like march out into the arena. The pipe band would be out there. And of course the big ticket items would be the lions and tigers in the sure. cage. And my old man used to watch guys trying to get close to the lions and the tigers. Now they were probably pretty, you know, tame or as tame as those things could be, but those lions and tigers knew how to get even. And one of them was to turn around <laughs> and mark you, Sure, you yes. know what I mean? Like a tomcat. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things. My dad just remembered that. And there we are up at the Okanagan game farm, standing there looking at the tiger in the cage and you know, you got. 10, 12 feet between the barrier and the cage that the animal's in. And, uh, of course he's going, we should stand back now. Cause he's seeing the behaviors <laughs> in that tiger yeah. that he knew. And sure enough, the tiger delivered on demand mm-hmm. and you know, other people, oh yes. And I even remember this was, I was like, it was nine years old. We were at the, the zoo in Honolulu. And there was this huge silverback gorilla sitting there and the poor thing behind bars, just, you know, with a total state of dejection on his face and people, you know, you know, trying to get him to do something. And, you know, you just knew and, and dad says, ah, we should move back. And he had, uh, he had good senses about stuff like that. And faster than you could blink an eye, that gorilla scooped up a handful of excrement and flung <laughs> it through the bars at all these people that had been taunting him. Yeah. And then he threw himself up at the bars, this powerful, powerful, you know, 
beast and started shaking the bars, but that was his, that was his entertainment. Yes. And, and to my dad's credit though, he kind of recognized he, you know, he was just that kind of a guy. He mm. was thinking, you know, first of all, he loved animals and he couldn't bear the thought of, you know, caging them or anything else like that, but he knew. So just another dad story. <laughs> well, you brought up a couple of really interesting points. Uh, one was the woman walking and being harassed, being stalked. Mm -hmm. So I remember at a young age, people would be like, why, why are you walking so fast, Travis? It's cause you got long legs. I can't keep up. Well, it's not cause I got long legs. I specifically walk faster so that my normal is other people around me are generally walking slower and I don't have to think about them. Yeah. If they're matching my speed or exceeding my speed, all of a sudden they come up on the radar and That's I right. have to think about them. So little, little tricks like, uh, watching who's matching your speed. Uh, maybe as you're walking downtown and you're looking in store windows, don't look in the window, look at the reflection in the window, Keep Absolutely. Che check your sex, watch who's behind you, but also look ahead, like actually look ahead and well plan ahead. your escape route, or maybe there's something up ahead that I sh don't want to be meeting five feet from me. I can avoid a right. hundred yards away. And, and yeah, and, and everything you pass, you know, not only as an escape route forward, but maybe for your retreat, what did I pass that, you know, could have helped me out in this situation? Yes. Was there a garbage can I could have, you know, rolled in front of somebody or pushed away or got behind or a car that was back there. I'm now on a strip of, you know, pavement, uh, is beside me on the edge of the sidewalk. Whereas there was a car that was only about 30 yards back. Maybe, you know, if I get to that, I can just. It's all about time too, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when any of these situations, if you can get distance from whatever the situation is, you've got time to think more and figure it out and, and get away. But, you know, distance and time and, and avoiding the threat mm. without getting into so many of the real specifics of, of actual physical conflict of coming together, you know, we're, we're talking Average Joe stuff here, not martial artists, not armed citizen stuff, you know, and we're not advocating anybody at this point should try and arm themselves illegally at all. You know, that, that's, that is such a high degree of training is required to, to be efficient at that. And that's not where we're going with this. Mm. It's, it's to develop an awareness and in most cases will keep you free of ever having to, to, to come touching, right. Mm. You know, you know. And, and the kind of touching, which, you know, would mean a, a physical fight right. or trying to, or trying to, to stop, you know, getting stabbed or beaten or anything like that, you know, and there's so much of it is common sense, you know, like, where are you at what time? Mm. Like, I can't believe this happened to me. Well, you can't believe this happened to you. It was three o'clock in the morning <laughs> and, and you were drunk out of your mind right? and by yourself yeah. and victim, big V. Right. And you walked, you know, instead of walking towards transit, you thought, oh, I'll just walk over here and, you know, get a pizza from some skid row place where they sell pizza. You know, again, how many times did I hear that while I was working? Too many times. Mm. But again, people have the, this belief they maybe have a right to, well, I have a right to be there. You sure do. Yep. Absolutely. And I'm not here to tell you that, you know, oh, I am, you know, what do I look like a liberal? And, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that you can do anything, but if you're smart, you shouldn't do that. 
friend of mine talks about a, uh, an old poem, I think it was called the stop sign or the stoplight or something like that. And he says his way was right. His will was strong, but he's just as dead as if he were wrong. You had the light, it was green. You have the right to be there, but maybe you should look around and make the proper decision. If there's a Mack truck coming down and it's going to blow the light and hit you just cause you're right. Sure. Dead right. Yeah. Dead right. <laughs> yeah. My mom used to, her poem was, here lies the body of Mr. Gray. He died defending his right of way. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> and just as dead as if he were wrong. Yeah. Know? So I forget the other parts of the world, but yeah, it's true. And yeah, go where you want, whenever you want. So, but are you prepared to deal with what could potentially be there? And certain things are of greater potential than others. I think most people have heard run, hide, fight. And those are the three words that are thrown out. If there's an active shooter, run, hide, fight. Yeah. But keeping that run, hide, fight mentality, obviously if you're able to run, if you're able to get oh. your butt out of Dodge, that trumps everything else. Get yourself out of danger. In order to do that, run, hide, fight, run, hide, fight. Keep that in your head and you do your mental role playing. If I put myself in this position, will I be able to run? If I go into this building, do I know where the exits are? Do I position myself as I'm having lunch in a way where I can watch people as they come in or come out and I can have a quick and easy egress. And if you keep that run, hide, fight, you start eliminating the possibility that you have to hide, fight. Yeah. Um, you brought up another one, which was a person talking to you on the street and I, they talk about the rule of one plus one. There's one bad guy. There's probably two. There's, you're searching a person, you find one weapon, you'll probably find two. If someone stops to talk to you, you have to really question why. And immediately who were they working with? Who could be around? Right. So just cause you hear the bang over here doesn't mean that's the only threat. So putting yourself in a position, tactically positioning yourself, if you're talking to somebody on the street, if you made that decision to engage and actually talk to them, tactically positioning yourself, if you're eating lunch, if you're at the office, just being aware of your surroundings, you and I were at a, at a, uh, a restaurant there at a uh, shot show and another fellow we know, just people kept walking into him. <laughs> he said, what is your situational awareness? My yeah, God. That's right. Yeah. We were you sitting remember there, that, right? Everybody just get banging into him. <laughs> and I, right. I go, what's with this guy? Like, I know. you know, why don't you just take a couple of steps back, put your, you know, stand by a, 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 a support column in the, in the place that we were at or something that's right. like that. But everybody was bumping him into, into him. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> it, it, it is a funny thing like that, you know, of course. Some people purely by their physical stature, very few things are going to happen. And, you know, and, and it's easy to say like, you know, I've, since I was 14, I've been over six feet tall. Mm. People are not actually sizing me up. I'm not a woman. That is one of the things that scares me more than anything else is I, you know, I want the women in my life, my family to, you know, and always to be on their, their game mm. and, you know, unfortunately my wife is very sharp. She's, you mm -hmm. know, you'd be tangling with a, your weight and wildcats with that one, mm -hmm. but that's the thing, you know, and she's not, she has no problems, you know, just blowing people off who are trying to distract her and things. She's, she's good with that. She's focused. She walks fast, you know, she has a purpose and everything else. She walks our dogs. I'm disabled right now until I get my knee fixed. So she walks our dogs. 
non-urban environment, but she's aware. She's got her air horn. She's got her bear spray. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got her communications. She's got a whistle, all those things. And it all goes on her little back or waist belt thing when she goes out there and every time. So she's now bought into her awareness in a non-urban environment in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And so many people will buy into that so much more easily. And I find there's almost no threat in the outdoors. Mm. We teach bear awareness. We've both been a part of that, developing Mm -hmm. programs for people because it could happen. Sure. With a lot of people, they believe it's about to happen and that's all that occupies them every time. And they're not seeing that glacier and they're not seeing that waterfall Mm -hmm. and they're not smelling the air because they think everything is going to be a bear attack. Mm -hmm. So going back to this urban awareness, nobody's thinking about the bear attack. They're thinking about, oh yeah, you know, I, I want to go to this restaurant and they don't pay attention to where this restaurant is located, where they park their car. How are they going to get back to their car? When you get to your car, have you, you know, you remotely started. I love that. I love, you know, mm-hmm. the vehicles that remotely start. So the car's up, the lights are on, and that could be a distraction that could help you out. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden this car starts up while somebody thinks they're cornering you in the dark and they now think there might be a witness. That's mm-hmm. a great thing to have lights on, engine running as you get there. Don't unlock it till you get right to it though. Yeah, that's a good tip. You know, like, like leave the thing locked until the very last second. Mm-hmm. You know, don't take that program out of your car where as soon as you unlock the pass or the driver's side, the passenger also unlocks. Right. You know, you make that decision. Right. You know, you can push the button twice on your fob or you get in and flip the, you know, the switch that on the inside of the door. Those, those things are important. And these are all, it's not if it, or when it's happening, these are all things that you should be prepared to do before mm-hmm. and, and how to live your life, you know. Now, another one is as you're walking down the street or you're at the, at the subway or at the, uh, the sky train or the bus station and you're assessing what could be possibly out of the ordinary. You see somebody sitting there and they're not on their phone, particularly a younger person. (laughs) That's not ordinary. If they're up and they're alert and they're looking around, there's probably a reason for that. Mark that in your head and watch them. Take a look at the face, take a look at their hands, because if they're going to do something, it's going to be with their hands. If they're going to hold a weapon, it's going to be with their hands. And then watch a face again and try and go through that constant OODA loop, the mm-hmm. observe, orient, decide, and act, and keep going over as you look at people face hand face. What's, is there a threat there? Uh, I, I think that would be something that would help people in their decision-making in their branching mm-hmm. scenario here, as well as we're talking a lot about mental conditioning, physical conditioning is massive. Being able to just have the cardiovascular skill or strength, sorry, cardiovascular strength to survive an encounter is something that should be on people's minds in the pre-section as well. And it'll help the mental yeah, and, role and, playing and that's too. right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have plenty of options in that regard. Sometimes physicality is going to prevent that. That's just, sure. you, know, you, you know, a disability, uh, an infirmity, anything like that, you know, poor vision. But you brought up a really good point there and you talked about communication device and out walking the dogs with some bear spray or some dog spray. Now right. having OC, oleoresum capsicum for people, that's it's not, not illegal. allowed. That's illegal. Mind you, 
having it for dogs or predatory animals is perfectly legal. And I mean, that's the thing. We are not a society, Canadians, we are not a society where, you know, we can tell people that you have the right to stand your ground, um, though it can be interpreted in law. It's always better to run away and fight another day mm. than to try and do that. So the, I always say the idea of standing your ground only comes when there's no other option. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the, 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 as you say, the, the run, hide or fight boy running man best, but knowing where you're going to run and, and run right. into a store, uh, run to, you know, what appears to be, um, and like you see, you talk about uniforms, but virtually any uniform, like official uniform mm-hmm. is better than nothing else. So there's right. security guards and, and, uh, a garbage truck, you know, the uniform, the, the, the city of whatever you're in engineering truck is there. That guy's got communication, probably he's going to have a cell phone or a radio in that truck, but he's also, he's at work, he's there. He's not going to, you know, he's going to be a, a person you can go to, you mm. know? And, and so the run, run to something and it's not just, you know, run away from the threat to something mm. that's going to benefit you in the end. The hide, you know, I, I wanted to say that because when you brought that hide up, hide, hide, what am I hiding from? Hiding from being seen, hiding from gunfire. Like, you know, mm. that's an important thing to think about. Right. You know, is the guy got a shoulder firearm because the penetrative effect of a rifle rounds is much greater. So hiding means, you know, some serious ballistic protection, a big truck, anything like that. Is it a handgun? The threat is slightly less ballistically, but you know what? If they're shooting low, it, the bullets will ricochet underneath a car. So if you're going to hide behind a car, hide behind the wheel, mm-hmm. hide behind the engine block, the front of the car, those sorts of things are really important. You know, it's not just hide. Hiding might be better than doing nothing always, but now talk about, well, if I got to duck behind that vehicle, or if I got a choice of two that are equal distance away, maybe I'm going to pick that, you know, the big wheel on the, the one ton truck there to get down behind it and hold that position. Right. You know, and then if I got to hide, cause that's all I got, I now got to go back to the run thing. So leaving my position, if it means running across wide open ground, that's not good. So you're differentiating between cover and concealment. Concealment. Yes. You know, and just like, you know, hide and seek hiding or hiding to get protection. Right. So people who are listening, if you're hiding and they can't see you, that'd be concealment. You're concealed. They can't see you. Right. Whereas cover is something that would be much more preferable. And as you're saying, Paul, it's got ballistic stopping capabilities. So the. The forces that are, you know, at work here, the, the professionals who are training, we, we have now recognized that the active shooter scenario is a real thing, uh, in a mall, in a school, in a church, we've seen it all. And, you know, we've seen it, you know, not just in the United States, but we've seen it in Canada, we've seen it in Europe and, mm-hmm. and stuff. So one of the things when we talk about the hide is quiet. Mm-hmm. We tell kids an active shooter happens, tell everybody to get, you know, out of the way of any window, you know, in the door, looking into the room, get mm-hmm. down on the floor and everybody shut up, mm-hmm. shut the phones off, you know, turn the lights, you know, down all, well, don't shut the phones off, but you know, you don't shut want the that. Shut the ringer off. The, yeah. Shut the ringer off. You don't want the light from the screen reflecting back into your face to, to give you away. So. And your loved ones, the second they hear that there's something going on, 
at your location, oh. everyone's going to be phoning your right. phone right away. Hide. Yeah. So, uh, fighting quite often. So I've, I used to do a fair bit of martial arts. I would do Muay Thai and our niece and jujitsu and a few others. And people would say, Hey, what's the best martial art? I, I just want to learn something so I can have some self defense. I can protect myself. And a time and time again, I'd tell them what's way better than any martial art is basic physical conditioning and your urban awareness or situational, situational you awareness. So you don't find yourself in that situation. Yeah. That is way better. But if you have to do something, boxing's great because it's great for the cardio and it teaches you to take a hit and realize that you're not made out of glass. Right. That's an important thing too. And sure. you know, if you, if it does, you know, you've got to think about this in this before scenario, you mm -hmm. must think about this now, if you get shot, stabbed, mm -hmm punched really hard and you know that you've been shot, punched or stabbed, you're okay. Cause you're, you're, you're still aware. That's right. So that doesn't mean anything other than I got to continue on to get away from this or make it stop or, or whatever. And that's, that's a huge thing because, you know, I've watched people, I should say police officers who get one punch and they're out of the fight. Right. The nose starts to bleed. They turn and roll away and you think, oh my gosh. And I've seen other, you know, other pure heroics where somebody has got a broken finger, broken wrist, broken arm, they continue the fight, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's just, you know, the, how strong the mind can be, but the mind only gets strong from considering what could happen and developing that, you know, that that will to live, that will to, to get through it. So all of that, even though we talk about the will, you know, should be part of when it's happening, training the mind to have that will. Right. Always thinking about, um, always thinking about what's important to you beforehand. You know, people go, when it happened, my, my life flashed before my eyes. And what were you thinking? Well, I, I don't have a will and how's my family going to get by? Mm. I had a fight with my loved one and I didn't kiss them goodbye. Mm. You know, all these things can have a negative detractor on people. Now, much more in people that are in law enforcement or, you know, in, in the military where, you know, where we are putting them directly into harm's way. Right. It, it's not an if situation. It's just a when situation mm -hmm. with them. So it's incredibly important even for us, if it is that if situation, if we're just, you know, the citizenry that we have your ducks in, in order. Mm -hmm. If you're leaving to go to work and you've had a huge fight with your, your other, you know, and you, you just say, look, we got to stop fighting right now because I'm going off, you know, I'm going to be gone for a day or something like that. We'll resume when I get back. I really look forward <laughs> to that, but we'll resume then. But for now. If you still have feelings for that person at that point, if it's not a total loss, tell them you got feelings for them. Mm. Make sure you get that off because, you know, having that pop into your head at the wrong moment is not good. And I've, and I have had the opportunity to talk to people who said, you know what? I started thinking about what I hadn't done when I was about to die. Mm. And I had to actually stop thinking about that to get back into the fight. Mm. And, uh, it was funny we always talk about, you know, the man who saw the elephant. So in the early 1800s, not many people had seen the elephant. 
Right. But when people started to travel specifically to hunt in Africa or had actually traveled as explorers and they would come back to, you know, modern Europe in those days, modern or modern North America, everybody wanted to hear about what it was like to see the elephant. Mm. And when you find somebody that's been in a true life or death situation, before you get into one, you want to listen to what the man or the woman who saw the elephant has to say. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a, oh, you know, they want to say, did, you know, what did you think of when you were seeing the elephant? And listen to what the person says. And, and I just put it like, I have heard people ask me, um, you know, or ask others who had been in a life or death situation. Did you think about, you know, did you leave the coffee pot on at home or something like this? And these are things that are typically put into the mind by an, what I would call a non-combatant. Mm. And, and there are non-combatants out there. Years and years ago, there was a book written, uh, by, uh, Wamba, uh, who did a lot of, you know, police style novels based many of it around the LAPD, but one of his true novels or not true novels, one of his, uh, historically correct books was called the onion field. Mm. In the late sixties, a couple of detectives, robbery detectives were taken hostage. Uh, they were taken out. One was murdered in an onion field. The other one survived. Mm. From that situation, they developed a whole series of, you know, post critical event, you know, ideas. Mm -hmm. And one of the things was they said was, you know, we had to tell people what it might be like to go through a critical event. And people were saying, you know, don't worry after the critical event, you might become a bedwetter or a kleptomaniac, or, you know, you're going to have marital problems. And they were telling police officers in particular, it's not unusual if you get into, you know, a, a, uh, on duty shooting to leave the job within two years because of hmm. the stresses and everything else. And this went on for the longest time. And I still remember as a baby cop listening to the academy instructor talk about that stuff. And because I was fully embracing the concept of lethal force training, I started to listen to other people. And what I say is, don't think that because that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. If you think that you get into something beforehand and you start to say, oh my God, if this happens to me, I'm finished. I'm, I'm going to become impotent. My, my marriage will end all these, it's, it's going to happen. One of the things you need to do and tell yourself, well, maybe I'm going to spoil it. You know, I I don't want to, I'm going to talk about after how how you should feel if you are, you know, applying everything that we're, we're leading up to here. No, that sounds good. But, uh. What a man thinks he will do. Right. Essentially. And so you want to program yourself with all these right inputs. Exactly. And if you're being programmed by a non-combatant. Mm-hmm. Somebody who doesn't have the grounding to, to put themselves forward for all this stuff. I mean, I'll tell you, when we start talking about during, I've got some examples, personal examples mm-hmm. that I can offer up that ring so true to when a combatant told me what I might experience going through. But mm-hmm. let's go back. Listen to the people who have done stuff. And have been successful. And what were the things they do? You have interviewed people who have survived bear attacks. Mm -hmm. What did they do? They became resourceful. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, there was the guy that pulled out that little pocket knife, which was not a flip open knife. He had to, and that was it. But he 
remembered that he had a knife. He knew that he had to do something. He got the knife out and that was it. You know why he did that? He did that because of a story that was written, I think it was in Gary Shelton's book, one of the bear attack books. And there, I believe it was a uh, indigenous fellow who was attacked by a bear and used his buck knife that he had and stabbed the bear and kept stabbing the bear until he was able to escape from the bear and crawl himself out some far distance away. And this guy who was in a bear attack, Colin Dowler, he said, I remembered that story because I remembered that as his heuristic. There is action, reaction, and result. And he says, if I can only get my knife out and I'll just stab the bear in the neck as many times as I can until it lets me go. And he says, I remember being so upset when I stuck it in his neck and I was only able to get one stab in before it really started thrashing me. He says, but I said one thing, the only thing I said the entire time that this bear attack happened, he says, I look back on it and I'd like to think that I talked to the bear ahead of time, like go away bear. He says, I don't know if I did, but I do know that the second I stuck that knife in, I saw a rush of blood come out. He says, now you're bleeding too bear. And that stuck with him. That pre-mental programming is- Got him to that point. Is what he says saved his life. And then the fact that this other fellow in the story, the guy couldn't see, his face was all mauled and he crawled out for miles. Well, Colin gets up on his bicycle, falls down. He's only got one good leg and he's got, you can see his internal organs through his back apparently. Gets back up on the bike again and he says, I better not fall off again because I don't know if I'll be able to get back up again. And he rode that bike, I think it was seven miles that he rode with his one good foot kind of pushing and pedaling based on the fact that he downloaded in his head that you could do that. Just like you said, okay, you're shot or you're stabbed, man, that sucks. But you know what? I realize it and I'm not dead. So that means I can keep going. Right. Not giving up. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, like know ahead of time, I'm not going to give up. If I'm conscious and aware, I'm still in it, Mm. you know, and, and still in it again, we're not talking about the fighting side of it, but the getting away from and, and getting on to return back to, you know, your, your normal life, what it, what it was. And one of the other things when people say, oh, if it happens to you once, it's never going to happen again. (laughs) Don't ever say that one. Trust me on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, yeah, getting back to this, so much of what we can download to get us ready for things Mm. is important. And I mean, you know, the lost art of, of reading other people's experiences and, you know, so now in a, in a very, um, light state of code yellow, you know, when you're on your next opportunity to get out somewhere where it's quiet and you really are, you know, pretty much devoid of any threats to really study a book that somebody else has talked about Mm. who survived these, you know, Mm. it's funny because again, I remember, uh, listening to a lot of people saying how many times things had happened to them. Mm. And that's the other thing too, it's not only you prepare ahead, but did you learn from the time before? Right. You know, and they say the best predictor of future performance is past performance. Right. Take a look at past performance, use that to develop your heuristics as you move forward. Yeah, and, and that's what's going to do it. So yeah, we, uh, you know, we t- it's very important and we talk about before and let's first of all, you know, just a bit of a recap, 
Will it happen for sure? No, but it, it could, except that it could. Mm -hmm. Don't deny, don't, uh, don't walk into it oblivious. Tell yourself, you know, right now that, uh, if something out of the ordinary happens, I'm going to pay attention to it. So I'm going to keep myself in a state of, we could even say curiosity, mm -hmm. you know, be curious, but be out there in it. But, and that yellow state of relaxed awareness is, is going to keep you above, you know, your sight lines high. You're going to, you'd be above the sidewalk. You're looking ahead. You're taking in what's there. And you can also be entertained by that too. There's, there's you know, you've always got to look at that side of it, but mm -hmm. getting completely involved in whatever's going on on your phone, you now need to go indoors somewhere, put your back against the wall or, you know, make sure that you've got somebody with you to watch what's going on. Like mm -hmm. that, that, that might be a consideration now, but for, you know, three people to huddle together with their heads touching, bent over over their phones, man, what good is that doing? You know, you, you, you wouldn't see quail doing that. I'll tell you. <laughs> so anyways, that, that state of yellow, ready to go to orange when need be, because, Hey, something doesn't look right here. Something I like the absence of ordinary has now a cap uh, has now occurred. Something doesn't look right with a vehicle, the, the way a vehicle's driving, somebody's slowing down to look at you, somebody's walking faster to catch up with you or appears to be. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. What does it appear to be? And in a state of orange, you're going to go, okay, this appears, oh, all right. Oh no, he's just speeding up because he wants to talk to his friend because that mm. person now turns around and, you know, there's obvious signs of a greeting and that's legit. And now you're back to yellow and back to your thing. Knowing when to go code red, that it, the fight is, is no longer imminent, it's now on. And then the behaviors that you need to display at that point should all be thought about before you go into code red, mm. right? That's now, that's, that's in that relaxed state of mind. That's, you know, in the time before I, I, I lay me down to sleep is, you know, a great time to download the stuff to your subconscious. You're very receptive at that time. You think you're tired, but you know, the number of people that'll tell you how they cram when they study before mm. they go to sleep and it, and it comes back to them, you know, it's good. And that's, that's the whole idea of this. The time for cognition is not in the middle of the fight. Mm -hmm. Your cognitive mind is going to be whoop, gone, right. you know? It's going to be reactive. That's right. And if you're not trained, you're, you're, you know, it's not there. If you're trained, you know, and if you're classically trained in whatever discipline it is, be it martial arts, firearms, or anything else, you do so many things in a reactionary way, um, or I, I, I hate to use the word instinctive cause it's not, but you use it from a, at a subconscious level, but you use it efficiently through repetition and training mm. that is there, that you actually do get some cognitive powers. Mm -hmm. you know, to help you out. You will be stronger in that. You're not going to just, you know, I mean, I watched an individual, uh, who got into Muay Thai mm. and that individual police officer was worried about making themselves better for the street and everything else. And they started doing, loved it, got, uh, was having fun doing Muay Thai. It was mm. confidence level was way up. Decided by, uh, the uh, instructor said, you know, would you like to fight a match, like a, a legit, mm -hmm. you know, full contact match and pads and everything on and Yeah, let's go for it. Took two punches in the face and went into complete, you know, automaton mode and all those skills stopped. 
windmilling now was going in, you know, screaming, trying to bite everything until the- What did know, Mike Tyson say? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got a plan until yeah. they get punched in the face. Until they get punched in the face and that's what happened. But, you know, that individual learned to gather themselves from it and would later be better for it, you right. know, but that's just it. Okay. So I've got a whole ton of notes. I think we should be looking at wrapping them up. Okay. The- there's going to be things that we didn't touch on and maybe people listening or watching to this would like to add their own experiences or things that they've seen that works yeah. for them. One, one thing I would encourage is when we're developing our heuristics, when we're doing our scene assessments, use all of your senses. Yes. If you look at the person and you see they're obviously, they got the cauliflower ears and, and it looks like they've taken a few hits before, they're not going to shy away from a fight. If you can smell alcohol on breath, right? Okay. They might not act in the same way right. that a sober person would. If you can hear certain things happening and that my buddy would say, he says, you know, weird thing was, um, the dogs didn't bark for the Taliban, right? And he says, I don't know if it's the locals knew that an attack was happening and they'd bring their dogs in, but there is an absence of normal. The dogs wouldn't bark. So he was bringing in all the different senses mm -hmm. and after a while, it's just something that will allow you to write almost everything off except for what is the absence of normal. Right. Right. I agree. Why is that light out? Why is, you know, oh, I just think of so many things when, mm. you, when you do that, but stuff we pay attention to. Well, why don't we call it there? There's a ton of stuff we didn't touch on, but this should be a good primer for others to, to build upon and they might have certain questions that we'll put into the, the during, cause that's going to be, that'll be an interesting one. And I know Paul, you've got a lot for that one. Well, stay tuned. Okay. <laughs>